I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade, Monday, July 22nd, 2013. You know, somebody uh, sent me a message uh, from for last week's episodes of Fighting for the Faith. You know how they have, like, Shark Week on uh, the Discovery Channel? Somebody said I should have advertised last week as Blasphemy Week. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically. Help you to think critically. Help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, really, you got to be careful. You need to be careful. The uh, religious world, especially the church world, is a very dangerous place. Why? Because there's a lot of folks out there that are twisting God's work and making merchandise of people. And some of the folks are doing it maliciously. And other other folks, this is just what they've been raised in. They think that this is Christianity. And so uh, think of it this way. When a false teacher uh, shows up in town and sets up shop and creates a church, and I'm using air quotes there, and, uh, you know, and the guy's a charlatan, you know, he's uh, phony as a $3 bill, you know, just plastic banana, you know, false theology and all that kind of stuff. What happens is, is that, um, you know, he may know he's twisting God's word, may or may not. I, I think that a lot of kind of the first generation of folk out there, they know they're departing from the faith. They know they're not teaching the faith. They know they're making merchandise of people, and it's all about them lining their wallets. But what happens is, is that they end up raising an entire generation of people, especially if somebody starts off growing up as a child in that church. Uh, they start off, you know, believing that this is Christianity and um, the people who stay, you know, from their childhood on into adulthood and then become teachers, they think they're teaching the truth. They think that what they've been taught is Christianity and they're passing it along. And uh, some of them, they can't figure out why it, you know, the Bible doesn't say what they are, they've been taught. They can't figure out what, what the disconnect is. And so they go back to just the same old proof text that they were taught. Uh, you know, others, 
you know, they they take it to a whole nother level. And, you know, it's it's crazy stuff. So, you know, I, I at least internally, sometimes I like to think between uh, the di- there's a difference between kind of a first generation charlatan uh, as opposed to somebody who's been raised in a church. I look at somebody like a Joel Osteen. And uh, I, I think there's a marked difference between him and his father. Joel Osteen really thinks he's teaching biblical Christianity, but he ain't. And uh, which makes me wonder how, you know, how does he uh, deal with uh, cl- the clear passages of Scripture that don't teach what he says? You know, there, there, there's scant few Bible verses that he can go to in proof text. And, uh, you know, d- there has to be times when he's reading his Bible and just go, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. You know, is he convicted? Is he just, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things. So let me tell you what we're going to do today. I'm going to start off um, by reading um, three passages of Scripture. Now, one of the things I make no bones about is that I'm a confessional Lutheran. Now, this is not to be confused with uh, groups like the ELCA and other liberal uh, denominations that are Lutheran in name only. Uh, You know, a confessional Lutheran actually believes, teaches, and confesses uh, the same doctrines in theology that you know men like Martin Luther, uh, you know, Philip Melanchthon, Martin Chemnitz, and classical Lutheranism have uh, believed, taught, and confessed, going all the way back to the Reformation. And the one thing that uh, the 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 Lutheran reformers really were very rigorous about is that they didn't want any innovations. That the, the, and so uh, the Lutheran confessions were really about not just chucking everything that, quote, claimed to be Catholic, but by rolling up your sleeves, digging into God's Word, and looking at the Church Fathers and and saying, is what we are putting out there, what we believe, teach, and confess, what the Church has historically believed, taught, and confessed, going all the way back to New Testament and then through the the patristic period on to, uh, to their era, you know. And uh, and so what they were really really rigorous about is nothing innovative. We the, the, the Lutherans didn't want anything that you know any doctrines that were uniquely Lutheran, and uh, and so you know if, you know I believe they pulled it off. Some of you may not agree, but uh, that being the case, I you know because I attend a Lutheran church, um, and the church I attend to, uh, I attend, I'm a member at, and I teach at. Um, our pastor, um, he follows the lectionary. In other words, we've taken innovation off the table. He does not have the option of uh, tyrannizing us uh, you know, with his innovative ideas or whatever. We give him assigned texts, and it's like, oh, in fact, I can look in the hymnal, and I can tell you what, he's go- what, what the text that he will be preaching on a month from now, a year from now, a year and a half from now, Two years from today, uh, you know, all the way down the up to three years from now, three years out, I can tell you exactly which text he's going to be preaching on, what the Old Testament reading is, what the epistle text is, and what the uh, and what the uh, gospel text is going to be. Now, I don't know which one of those three he's going to he's going to preach from, uh, but I can tell you which one he will be assigned. Now, yesterday, um, the assigned texts uh, had to deal with warning the church about false teachers. And this theme it comes up several times throughout the year, but uh, this was one of the clearest uh, Sundays dealing with that. And I want to read for you the, the, the Old Testament text, the New Testament text, and the Gospel text uh, from yesterday. And uh, I might do a little bit of commenting, but, you know, it, <laughs> you know, I, it, this was like music to my ears, and of course, you know, the, the, this is something that everybody needs to be warned about. And I'm very happy that uh, we've assigned these texts to our pastor, 
and uh, he had to preach on these. <laughs> One of the things you will not hear happen uh, very often, if at all, are heretics preaching on these particular texts. So I'm going to read these to you, and uh, and then we're going to die, you know, talk about what we're going to do on the rest of the program. So kind of think of this as like filling out the rest of the. Um, uh, the 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 rest of the monologue here. I'll, I'll you know make room for God to speak. Uh, I think that's the right way of putting it. Uh, Jer- so let me read these to you. The Old Testament text, Jeremiah chapter twenty three, verses sixteen through twenty nine, was the Old Testament text that my uh, he ended up. My pastor ended up preaching on this. But uh, here's what it says: Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of Yahweh or the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, Oh, it will be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Now, right off the bat, I mean, somebody who comes to mind, you know, somebody who's supposedly speaking the word of the Lord and is not sent by God, who's teaching, you know, basically saying, God wants you to be the head, not the tail. You know, he's, he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, and wise, and all that kind of stuff. Guys like uh, Joel Osteen come to mind. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If they, verse 22 again, but if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way. And from the evil of their deeds. I am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies, who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. By the way, we have God's word. It's written down for us, and we're supposed to speak it uh, faithfully. Uh, what has a straw in common with wheat? Nothing, declares the Lord. Is not my word of fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Fantastic text from Jeremiah. Let me read the epistle. Uh, technically, this is not from the epistle. It's from the book of Acts, but it's, it fell in the slot of our epistle reading uh, yesterday. Acts chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Paul giving his parting words to the church at Ephesus. He says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of the word of God, all of it, that the good and the bad, the law and the gospel, the hard to believe and the easy to believe, all of it. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. 
Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these uh, these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful for most of all because of his word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and then they accompanied him to the ship. Here's the gospel text from yesterday. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. It reads this. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. That means their doctrine, their teaching. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Timely words, timely words. Timely words because, well... This is the day that we live in. We are infested with false teachers, false prophets, people who are teaching false doctrine, all in the name of the Lord, ravenous wolves who are prophesying, casting out demons, all in the name of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even know them, not not any of them, because they're not teaching Christ. They're teaching themselves and making merchandise of people and drawing away disciples after themselves and their own unique ideas and teachings and their own innovations. But, of course, you can't challenge them because they have had a vision from God. They've received a dream from God. They have a... And they've got... You know, lots and lots of growth. I mean, the thousands and thousands of people are showing up Sunday after Sunday at their large venues. That has to be from the Lord, right? Wrong. If they're not preaching sound doctrine, Christ and him crucified for our sins and calling people to repent of their wickedness, to repent and to trust in Christ and his mercy for the forgiveness of their sins, they're not teaching the truth. They're teaching lies. And they're not leading people to heaven. They're, they're, all of them are on the broad road to hell together. You know, it doesn't matter that they claim to have received a vision or a dream. These are not visions or dream that God sent. You can always tell by what they're preaching as to whether or not they're really a true or a false prophet. The doctrine will always be the dead giveaway. I mean, think of it this way, okay? Um, in the in the liberal Lutheran uh, segments, okay, what was the big argument? You know, what was the big apologetic as to why they should ordain unrepentant practicing homosexuals? Simple. There was a new move of the Spirit. This is the new thing that God is doing. You got to look at what God is blessing, and truly, God is. You know, this is the new move. They've, a religious experience, a vision from God, a new direction that God is taking the church. 
contrary to his written word. And next thing you know, well, they're ordaining uh, practicing unrepentant homosexuals. That's how that works. Re you know, Religious experience, the vision, the dream, all of that takes you away from the written word. But if you have the written word, speak it and speak it faithfully. We have it. And these men are not speaking it faithfully. They're saying twist, twisted and dark things to draw away disciples after themselves and make merchandise of people. Very, very sad indeed. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, we have a few things I would like to talk about uh, today. What we're going to be doing is I'm going to be doing an email segment real quick here. Um, I have a listener um, who grew up in the Portland area, and his father just passed away. I mentioned him, uh, I mentioned him last week, and uh, his father bought into the Word of Faith heresy. Uh, at least he was orthodox except for that little bit of it, and his father died as a result of it. His father died. And um, he heard me mentioning, uh, you know, in passing, what, what, you know, about his father, and he gave me permission to read the email and to tell the story. And so we're going we're gonna to read this email, and I, we're, in fact, I'm going to be playing audio also from a commercial from the church and the guy who taught his father the word of faith heresy. And his father would be alive today if it was not for uh, his belief in this word of faith heresy. Um, and uh, so, we'll, you know, we got a dead body to lay at the doorstep of this uh, church in Portland. And we'll make sure to do, to do that because they, are, they have, uh, well, this man's uh, father's blood on their hands. Then what we'll do is we will uh, take a break and we come back. We're going to do another segment of... Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies. We're going to be listening to um, Chuck Pierce supposedly prophesying something about God the Holy Spirit saying that we're on the new war, war paths are forming in the earth. And then we've got a Joel Osteen update from a recent sermon of his uh, talking about the no stick anointing. Uh, you've y'all you, you, for years now. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I remember when these things were first coming out on the market. We, you know, no stick pans. You know, it used to be if you wanted to keep stuff from sticking to a pan, you know, you had to be careful with the heat, or you needed to slick up the pan with uh, with butter, or you bought one of those anti-stick sprays like Pam or something like that. Now, now they have these Teflon uh, pans, and. Um, and apparently, I, this is all indicative of some kind of a no-stick anointing that uh, you can have. And we'll be listening to Joel Osteen wax eloquent about the no-stick anointing. And then in hour number two, we're going to be doing a sermon review from a man I've never reviewed a sermon from before. Um, and he's got a church out in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. So he's kind of neighbors with um, uh, Stephen Furtick and you know guys like that. But um, his name is Ron Carpenter Jr. Ron Carpenter Jr., and we're going to be listening to one of his Wednesday night messages. It, it doesn't have a name, so it's the, the, there's no name to this particular message. So I'm not sure I'm going to, how I'm going to introduce it. Um, but um, th this is a fascinating uh, message that we're going to be listening to because he, he's really slick with how he handles God's Word. And what I mean is, is that he's really good about citing scriptures and then making assertions uh, that are not in those scriptures that he cited, but by by making the assertion so close after reading the text that he read, it makes it look like the Bible's teaching what he's saying when it's not saying that at all, if you would actually slow down and listen. Uh, fascinating uh, sermon that we're going to be listening to. I, I can't remember the last time I've reviewed a sermon quite like this. Uh, this guy is actually pretty skilled at what we call the heresy two-step. 
That's where uh, you you basically you know read a text and then you back away from it and shimmy to the right or to the left. And because you've read it, it looks like that's what you're teaching them. But when you actually go and examine the text, it's not saying the thing that he said it says. And yeah. So maybe I'll call it the heresy two-step, the Ron Carpenter Jr.'s heresy two-step. Maybe I'll call it that, the message, since the message itself doesn't have a name. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. I recommend that you uh, make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. And uh, since we're doing an email segment, well, then that requires me to do this. Okay, really serious email here. Subject reads, The Word of Faith Heresy Killed My Dad. This comes from Isaac, who grew up in the Portland area, and he gave me permission to uh, read this on the air. Yes, heresy can kill you. It can endanger your life. Uh, Isaac writes, he says, My dad died last week on July 3rd. God has given my family and I tremendous peace throughout this whole situation, but there is one thing that has been disturbing me. We cleaned out his shop and found some of his notes in a journal, and apparently he documented his heart pain, and he knew he had a problem. When we searched his car, we found aspirin and blood thinners. He had high cholesterol like 10 years back. The doctor said that if he had heart pain... Take aspirin and call immediately. He took the aspirin but didn't tell anyone that he felt pain. Now, my dad was pretty orthodox in his theology, but he bought into one little tiny piece of the word of faith heresy, namely that of positive confession. He knew that he had a problem, but all he did was positively confess over his heart, saying, My heart is strong. I am healed. I remember years ago when I was 10 or 12, I was sleeping in the living room and woke up because I heard my dad sitting on the couch speaking positive words over his heart and commanding the pain to dissipate. He'd felt severe heart pain for the last few weeks but didn't do anything. If he had just said anything, even an hour before he had had the heart attack, he'd be here with us. I'm not angry at my dad. But my parents have this friend named Michael who taught them this theology years ago when they were both new believers. I can't even look at him without even thinking that he's partly responsible for my dad's death. He spoke at my dad's funeral, and he's been hanging around my family since this whole thing happened. Every time he opens his mouth, I want to break his jaw so he can never speak again. I've felt for a very long time that God's called me to be a pastor, and I want to spend the rest of my pastoral ministry exposing and stamping out the word of faith heresy. My dad confessed the Orthodox faith, but all it took was one tiny piece of false doctrine. I'm thankful to God that he kept my father from buying into the whole word of faith heresy and losing his soul. This heresy only killed my father's body, but there are many more people out there who are losing their souls. So what resources would you recommend for in-depth study of the Word of Faith heresy? Keep doing what you're doing, Chris. False doctrine is lethal, and we need more people warning the church and the world. And by the way, here's a commercial from 1984, and the guy in the suit is Michael, one of the guys who taught my dad 
uh, when before I laughed at this and thought it was silly. Now it makes me sick. So I'm going to play that for you. But uh, let me answer your question for you real quick. There's a person who I would strongly recommend that you get a hold of in order to learn more about the the word of faith heresy. And it's the Reverend Bob Lico, L-I-I-C-H-O-W. Bob and his wife both spent years in uh, Word of Faith churches. And uh, he has a, a, a blog called Discernment Ministries International. And so you can look up the Reverend Robert Lico, L-I-I-C-H-O-W, and Discernment Ministries International. And there's a lot of resources on that blog that I would point you to. And don't let the fact that uh, that Bob's site doesn't have high, quote, production value throw you. Bob is a is an accomplished theologian, and his wife, who does ministry with him on there, she's earning a Ph.D., and her dissertation is on um, N.T. Wright's uh, New Perspectives on Paul. These, these They are not lightweights at all. And um, uh, Pastor Lico understands law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and he understands uh, the errors of the word of faith heresy from the inside out. And so I would point you to him as your resource and go-to. And um, you find a lot of good stuff written on his website. That I would point you to those articles. But not only that, use the email link to get a hold of him and uh, ask him as to how to go f- further and how best to focus what you want to do in helping to expose the Word of Faith heresy. Now I'm going to play for everybody the audio from the uh, 1984 commercial for the New Creation Christian Center and the guy Michael who taught Isaac's father the Word of Faith heresy and caused him for 10 years to just positively declare that he didn't have heart problem and then ultimately it killed him. And he would have he would still be alive to this day if he had just sought help, even help within an hour before his heart attack. And uh, he thought he was doing the right thing just by positively declaring that his heart was healthy and it ended up killing him. So uh, here's uh, the audio from that commercial from Celebration Christian uh, Center in uh, Portland, Oregon. And I'll, I'll, I'll describe to you what it is that you are, uh, what you're listening to. There's a video that goes with it. And if you want to see it, if I've posted the link on my Facebook wall as well as on my uh, Twitter stream. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can uh, find the link there as well as Facebook. But uh, here, listen in. Now, what you uh, can't see because this is radio is that there's a Mercedes Benz, you know, a mid 1980s, very nice Mercedes Benz ser- sedan driving up the driveway. <clears throat> mm-hmm, yeah. And it's stopped in front of a house. And there's his two daughters, well-dressed, too. Daddy! Hi, family. Jesus said, with God, nothing is impossible. Now, this is Michael, the guy who um, helped teach the Word of Faith heresy to Isaac's father, who is now dead. He's stepped out of the Mercedes-Benz, and he's wearing a blue blazer. He's got a very nice uh, white pocket square, red tie. I mean, this is just a dapper outfit. I mean, he looks like he's ready to head on over to the uh, the restaurant at the country club for dinner. And now he's kissed his gorgeous wife. Happy families and homes filled with love come from God, 
Learn how to receive his best for you. That's right. Jesus said he's come to give us life and that more abundantly. His plan for prospering is yours. And healing for your body and for your mind. And rest for your soul. Receive your new life and the power that comes with it. Come to New Creation Christian Center. Let us teach you how to live abundant, power-filled Christian living. Yeah, so abundant, power-filled Christian living. Kind of the Joel Osteen message before Joel Osteen was even old enough to do anything uh, on television or radio or anything like that. Yeah, and it sounds all so positive, doesn't it? Yeah, it's positive until one of your family members buys into the heresy And rather than seeking medical attention when they have a true medical problem, they think that they can just positively declare healing for themselves, um, and then it doesn't turn out that way. And unfortunately, like Isaac's father, rather than seeking help, they don't seek help. Rather than living abundantly, they end up dead. That's the danger of the Word of Faith heresy. At least one of them hells the other. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We've got a uh, Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies uh, segment, as well as a, um, another Joel Osteen segment on no, the no stick anointing. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. <clears throat> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas, because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? 
There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you could be casual at work. And they's always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, But Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! Purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Hello, I'm Brandon House of WorldviewRadio.com. WorldviewRadio.com is the world's premier biblical worldview online radio network. And now you can take it with you on the go with our free app that you can download free of charge at WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. That's WorldviewWeekend.com forward slash APP. And you'll hear the daily and weekly radio programs by people like T.A. McMahon of The Brian Call, Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith, Usama Dakdok and The Truth About Islam, Noise of Thunder with Chris Pinto, Justin Peters and the Justin Peters Program, Crosstalk, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and Prophecy Today, Jesse Johnson with the Bible Teaching Program of Emmanuel, Dr. John Whitcomb, and Mike Gendron of Proclaiming the Gospel Radio, as well as Carl Tycrib with Forcing Change Radio. All of these biblically-based radio programs are available free of charge at worldviewradio.com and through our free app at worldviewweekend.com forward slash app. Biblical Worldview Radio that you can take with you on the go. Sad email. Warning. 
false doctrine can kill you and it can send you to hell. There's nothing safe about Bible twisters at all. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio without it. Moving along. Time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. That's our new Apostolic Reformation update music. We use that whenever we do a, an update with uh, teachers who are from the NAR. Now, one of their major ideas is that they've got to take over the world. The seven mountain mandates, uh, you know, take dominion over the earth, and then they need to make the bride of Christ clean, and then Jesus will return. It's not like Jesus makes the bride of Christ clean. No, they're going to do it by taking over, so to speak. And uh, from time to time, we play what we call Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies um, to see if you can figure out, because I surely can, what on earth Chuck Pierce is uh, talking about, because he claims that he's, you know, prophesying. And um, this latest um, installment from his prophecies just leaves me scratching my head going, um, uh, what? Yeah, so apparently God the Holy Spirit is revealing new war paths and stuff like that. See if you can diagram these sentences. Here we go. It has been my desire for you to shift into new ways. Right. And I say because it is my desire for you to shift into new ways, I have determined to go on the war path. So God wants you to shift in new ways because he's determined to go on the war path. Um, okay. So that the war paths of past seasons can be realigned. All right, so the war paths of your past seasons apparently are out of alignment. Um, and you can't even take them to like Walmart, you know, to the Tire and Lube Express to have the alignment reworked out. I say if I allow war paths from last... 
last season to remain in the earth, destruction will continue. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I must go on the warpath to lay out old structures so that a new path of my grace can rise and what I long built can be built. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Do you, do, you, do you know what any of that meant? So I say to you, I have now come on the war path to change the paths of war that have been established in this land. Uh-huh. So we got lots of war pathing going on. Oh, that deserves a shofar blast. This is just weird. I heard the Lord say, align to the north, align to the north, align to the north, align to the north, for there is a glory that I desire to rise up out of the north that you have not yet seen. But the Lord says it's going to take an alignment. The Lord says something. Yeah, this is, by the way, I, I think this is Lee. Uh, I forget. There's, there's kind of a group prophecy going on here. We heard Chuck Pierce um, I think this is Leanne Squire uh, now prophesying. I don't think this is prophecy. I think this is just spouting of non-lucid thoughts. Turn, turn, even now, turn. Align yourself with the north. Align with the north because of the new war paths that are coming with the framing in the... Th- yeah. The Lord said, I'm changing even a state structure. I'm changing into even an independent structure of the state. Why does anybody attend anything like this and think that they're hearing from God? I mean, apparently God has no ability to communicate lucid thoughts. States, and I'm aligning states even in new ways. And the Lord says, you will say, Oklahoma. Why is it that every time I listen to these, the God's always aligning this and shifting that. And um, he's busy aligning and shifting all the time. You will say, Oklahoma, I have your back. And the Lord says, there is a new arrangement that you are going to begin to see form. There are new alliances. That new arrangements, new alliances. Okay. You're going to begin. Very, I'm sure this is going to be earth shattering. And the Lord says, these will be protective alliances and alliances for the future. And the Lord said, because of alliances, I will demonstrate the power of agreement in the earth. Of alliances, he's going to demonstrate the power of agreement in the earth. Yeah, I got nothing on that either. A new glory over the land. All right, so we got group prophesying going on. Here. The Lord said, "This is the day." All right, this is Deborah Degar. That I spoke to you about. I will lay waste the mountains and hills, dry up the vegetation. I'll make the rivers coastland. I'll dry up the posts. And I will bring the bond by the way that they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked paths straight. Lord, we thank you for this new path. We thank you, Lord. Yeah, we thank you for the new war path. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. That darkness becomes light before us. All right, now they've passed the microphone. The group prophesying going on. Now, I hear the Lord saying this to us. That yeah, I don't think you're hearing anything from God. I think you're one of those uh, prophets that Jeremiah talked about in chapter 23. You know, They prophesied, but God didn't send them. They didn't, God didn't give them any words. Certain things in your bloodline and in your life 
have been warpaths. In other words, mm, here we go with more warpath talk. They just constantly end up in the same old warfare structure and the same old warfare. Yeah, beware of the old military warfare structure machine thingy. I, you know strategies and the same old warfare cycles God yeah the warfare industrial complex yeah. says if you will align with me I will break the structure of warpath that has been set against you no way wow so you're gonna God's gonna break the structure of warpath Whew, yeah I've been waiting for him to do that for years yeah they didn't even get a shofar blast out of that one. That you don't know this path. It's not in you. This path is in me. So today I am... Oh, so this is a totally hidden path. Okay. Cutting a path that you have no knowledge of. Yeah, by the way, this is Shara Collins. Trust and move with me. And she passes the microphone. Now, now here, I, I want to tell you, I've never heard a word like this before. Yeah, I'm sure you actually didn't even hear it. You need to understand there is a path of war coming down from heaven on your behalf that will cause you to get on a path of victory and triumph above the war paths of your yeah, and everyone's celebrating that, and um, I have no clue what it even means. For I would say to you, just like when my people came out of Egypt, I was the cloud by day and the fire by night. Now this is Janice Swinney. As I have established the fire by night in my garden, I say to you, I am the fire by night inside of you. So do not fear that you will not be able to find that path, but line up with the fire by night. Now, I that's why the Lord told me to come up. We have to hear the sound that God is bringing down right now. God's bringing a sound down. Okay. Get out of your minds. Get up into a new place because it's like the path for our future has been hidden. And it's like God is saying, I will lay out level after level after level until your and you step into it. Ah, so your path is going to rise and then you step. Uh -huh. I don't know what he's talking about. Decree right now, you will step onto the path that will bring you victory in days ahead. Uh-huh. Well, that's helpful. I don't know how. God is saying this today to us and say, I will I have determined to go on warpath until that war path that has overtaken you in past seasons and removed your testimony is broken and your new path rises up. Yeah, so there you go. New paths, new war paths, um, something about the north. And uh, did it, did any of that make like any sense to you? Because I sure didn't understand any of it. You know what I think I'm going to do? I, I think I'm just going to um, move along and play something a little happier. <clears throat> Here we go. When I'm feeling lonely... Sad as I can be, 
All by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. I feel like doing another uh, verse here. So white and pearly Brush, gargle, rinse A couple breath mints My shiny teeth and me My shiny teeth so awesome Just like a favorite song My shiny teeth that blossom So they grow to be real strong My shiny teeth I love them And they all love me But should I talk to you When I've got 32 Shiny teeth and me all right, that's our uh, Joel Osteen update music. Uh, Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me. If you haven't had the opportunity to actually sing along to the song and would like to know the lyrics, just go to YouTube.com and type in Chip Skylark, Shiny Teeth and Me, and you'll find several versions of it along with the lyrics so that you can sing along with your family and just feel like you're a fighting for the faith, you know, pro. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, <laughs> Joel Osteen... Uh, recently on his nationally, internationally televised television program had a sermon that he delivered entitled a no stick anointing. Yeah. I think Teflon here. Uh, this is just weird and talk about the tyranny of the, uh, of the positive. Um, what I'm going to do, I, I'm going to also play the little trailer for the commercial that played just before the, um, the sermon itself aired because I think it's rather telling. So without any further ado, um, here's Joel Osteen. I think the uh, the commercial has his, him, Victoria, his wife also. But uh, here's the no-stick anointing. Here we go. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Joel's new series, Upward Thinking, Discovering a Victory Mindset. As a- Upward Thinking, huh-huh. Yeah, if, you, if you're not thinking positive things, then, well, then good things aren't going to happen to you. Thank you for your support of our ministry. In this series, you'll learn to transform your mind to believe you're valuable, equipped, and empowered. Your best days are ahead of you. God has great things in your future. When you think thoughts of hope, faith, and victory, you will see favor in amazing ways. So apparently you can't see God's favor unless you can speak words and thoughts of hope and favor and victory. It didn't work out for Isaac's dad, though. I mean, he spoke positive words over his heart, you know, positively confessing that his heart was okay, that his heart was strong, that his heart was healthy. And then his heart gave out. Set your mind in the right direction and your life will go in the right direction. It's so important that you program your mind for victory. Yeah, did you catch that? Oh, man. It will help you to think the right thoughts. Request your copy of Upward Thinking, Discovering a Victory Mindset today. Uh Uh-huh. Now here's the sermon. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say there's a champion. It says there's a sinner. Well, God bless you. Always a joy to come into your homes. If you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. 
But thanks so much for tuning in, and thank you again for coming out. And I like to start with something funny, and of course, this is not doctrinally correct. It's just to make a... Yeah, like the sermon's going to be doctrinally correct. Like, you ever care about making your sermons doctrinally correct? Just laugh, but I heard about these three men, a Baptist, a Catholic, and a Charismatic. They died and went to heaven on the same day. St. Peter said, I'm sorry, men, but your rooms are not available yet. He didn't know quite what to do, so he decided to call Satan to see if he would keep them for a little while. (laughs) Satan reluctantly agreed. In a few hours, Satan called back and said, Peter, you got to come get these guys. The Baptist man is saving everybody. The Catholic man is forgiving everybody. And the charismatic has already raised enough money for air conditioning. (laughs) Hold up your Bibles. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is... Yeah, actually, you're not going to be taught the Word of God. That's uh, This little creed actually is designed to deceive people into thinking they're about to hear the Word of God. When they're not... Alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about a no-stick anointing. <laughs> a no-stick anointing. Um, <laughs> uh, we Just one little problem here, um, and it's kind of a big one. Um, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say there's a such thing as a no-stick, Teflon, no-stick anointing or anything of the sort. Um, so apparently now we're, he's run out of the you know, Bible verses to twist. So now we're just going to make stuff up and find things in scripture that are not there. Like the no stick anointing in life. We all have to deal with negative comments. Dis- yeah, we do. Uh, this is now pay close attention to this part because the, the problem itself, there's a solution given in Scripture, and you know it has nothing to do with the no-stick anointing. Did you know that the no-stick anointing is totally fictitious, made up, and totally mythological, and doesn't actually exist? It's true. But the problem that we all face, you know, of, of negative people, people who tear us down, who speak badly about us, who lie about us, who, you know, it, all that kind of stuff, well, there's actually a solution given in Scripture, and I'll give it to you before... We're done with this uh, segment, but uh, listen in. Respect and people that are critical. No matter how good of a person you are, somebody won't understand you. Uh, There's no such thing as a good person. See, there's a problem there, too. Somebody will make fun of you. Somebody will try to lessen your importance. Oh, no. Maybe a co-worker. It's not so much what they say, but how they say it. Always condescending, like you're not smart enough. Maybe it's a yeah, I've had that situation when I worked in corporate America. Relative. They celebrate everyone in the family, but they would never give you one single compliment. Too often, we respond the wrong way. So we get what's the right way? Offended, and we let that sour our day. But Psalm 45, 7 says that God has anointed us with the oil of joy. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Hang on a second here. I've got to apply my three rules of sound biblical exegesis. Psalm 45, 7 says that we're anointed with the oil of joy. See, and, you know, oil is used to grease up a pan so that things can't stick to it. Oh, man, this is horrible. <laughs> I'm I'm doing my best to not laugh too much, okay? I mean, just, it's, you could just see what he's doing with this. And it's so ridiculous that it's it absolutely 
stretches the bonds of credulity to believe that anyone's going to believe this. All right, Psalm 45. By the way, it's a positive psalm. Uh, Psalm 45, I'll start at verse 1. Here's what it says. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird up a sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. Now let me pause right there. The verse 6 of Psalm 45 should clue you in as to who this psalm is about. Listen in. Your throne, O God, is forever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. We're talking about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Whoops. It doesn't say we're being anointed with the oil of gladness. It says that Christ is. In fact, let me read to you what uh, what Luther wrote regarding the psalm. Here's his introduction to the psalm from the book, Reading the Psalms with Luther, which is a fantastic devotional uh, book if you want to uh, study the psalms. This is a good place to start. Uh, Luther writes, he says, The 45th psalm is a prophecy of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ, adorned with magnificent, splendid, and powerful words, for it portrays Christ as a king, with all kingly splendor, very handsome, well-spoken, well-adorned, well-armored, successful in war, righteous, gentle, gracious, having likewise a fine castle, a grand host of ladies-in-waiting, a beautiful queen, and children forever. This is nothing else than a spiritual picture of the gospel of Christ, his spirit, grace, church, and eternal life of war against sin, death, law, devil, flesh, world and all evil uh-huh this psalm is about jesus in fact let me back this up and read it a little bit again so we've already established psalm 45 verse 7 is not saying that we're being anointed with the oil of gladness and by the way you can tell where joel is going to go with this he's going to say because you know word oiled up that means nothing can stick to us that's going to be that's an absolutely preposterous thing to do here that's not what this text is saying but here's let me read it let me back this up Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil, the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory palaces. Stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor, and at your right hand stands the queen in the gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty since he is your lord. Bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. Again, this is a picture of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Christ is the king here. In place of your father shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. 
So there we go. Psalm 45, that ain't about you and I. It's about Jesus. But now let's watch what Joel Osteen is going to do with this, proving once again that he has no clue that the Bible is about Christ and not you. And he's twisting God's word and deceiving people rather than teaching the truth. Here again is Joel Osteen. Listen in. Here we go. But Psalm 45, 7 says that God has anointed us with the oil of joy. When you're oiled up, nothing can stick to you. (sighs) That is so ridiculous. When you're oiled up, nothing can stick to you. Call it a no-stick anointing. That means when the disrespect comes, it doesn't have to attach itself. You can choose. And again, you didn't read Psalm 45 to and realize that it was about Jesus, not us receiving the no-stick anointing. Choose to either hold on to it, let it sour your life, or you can let it slide right off of you and not give it the time of day. That coworker that's talking behind your back, you could get in there and try to straighten them out. No, when you have the no-stick anointing, you realize your time is too valuable. You are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. Oh, in other words, the no-stick anointing is all about boosting your ego. Uh Uh-huh. That relative that leaves you out on purpose, you could be offended. You could let that change who you are. No, you're like a Teflon pan. Nothing can stick to you. Somebody gossiping about you, no big deal. God will fight my battles. Um, And all of this from Psalm 45... Verse 7, at least it wasn't the whole verse. It was just a tiny little snippet of it. And you omitted the fact that this is about Christ, not us. Somebody talking about you, trying to make you look bad. That's all right. God is my vindicator. That family member left you out again, trying to belittle you. I'm not worried. What God lifts up, no person can push down. We have a cooking product here in America called Pan. Comes in an aerosol can. You spray it on a pan before you cook. That way, nothing will stick to it. Well, every morning before you leave the house, you need to spray on your pan, so to speak. And all of this from the anointing of of the oil of joy that's not on us, but on Jesus. Weird, huh? Father, thank you that nothing will stick to me today. No matter what people say, no matter what they do or don't do, I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to get upset. I'm going to stay in peace and enjoy this day. You know what this reminds me of? When I was in elementary school, you know, elementary school kids are known for calling each other names. And from time to time, I would be called names. I didn't like it. And then I heard somebody come up with a really snappy comeback that I thought was just oh so clever. So I would use it from time to time. Somebody would say something about me. And you know what I would say back? I'd say, um, I'm the rubber and you're the glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what this reminds me of. I mean, this is elementary school nonsense. Oh, yeah, I've got the Pam anointing, man. Nothing can stick to me. You have to make up your mind at the start of the day that nothing that comes your way is going to steal your joy. I read about this man and his friend. They were walking down the street to buy a newspaper early in the morning. When they got to the corner, the clerk in the little newsstand was very rude. Very inconsiderate. The man bought the paper and said, as friendly as can be, I hope you have a great day today. As they were leaving... The well, wait a second. If you've greased yourself up with the, uh, uh, the oil of joy, nothing's going to stick to you. Not even compliments. 
Oh, that's terrible. I mean, you won't be able to enjoy that. Friend said, is the clerk always that rude? The man said, every morning. He said, well, are you always that friendly? He said, every single morning. The friend was kind of puzzled. He said, why? He said, because I've made up my mind, I'm not going to let one person ruin my day. Just like him, you've got to have a made up mind. You're not going to let one negative comment, one disrespectful coworker, one classmate that's making fun of you to ruin your day. Now, by the way, this isn't taught in the Bible. What are we to do as Christians when we are wronged? And that's going to happen. Because we're all sinners together. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The people we interact with daily, they're sinners. Your coworkers, they're sinners. Your husband, your wife, your children, they're all sinners. And, and as a result of it, you know what sinners do? They sin. And when they sin, they sin against other people. They sin against God. And, you know, sinners can be just a very difficult group of people to get along with. Me being like the chief of them. So what happens when... A coworker who's a sinner, or a husband or a wife who's a sinner, or children who are a sinner, or a family member who's a sinner, sins against you. What do we do? What is what? What's the Christian response to say? Well, I'm not going to let that stick to me and ruin my day. No. Well, the answer is found in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray daily. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, the answer is forgiveness, not this mythical made-up doctrine of the oil of joy. And why is it that we as Christians can forgive daily against those who sin against us much? Real simple. Because Christ has forgiven us. Each and every one of us, we've sinned so grievously against God that there's no way that we can pay the debt. No way that we can pay God for what we've done. There's no way to free ourselves from sin. God himself freed us. And he did so out of mercy, out of his grace, as a gift. And so because we have been forgiven so much by God, the Christian response when people sin against us is not to hold a grudge, not to get mad back, but to forgive and say to that person, you know, what you've done is wrong. You've hurt me. And I want you to know that I forgive you just as Christ has forgiven me. That's the answer, not this mythical no-stick Pam Teflon pan anointing that Joel Osteen invented that is not taught in Psalm 45, verse 7. Psalm 45 is about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. Okay, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon from a guy we've never reviewed before, Ron Carpenter, out there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> 
listening to Byron Christian Radio. If everybody had a Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Palm with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Never reviewed a sermon by this guy before, but get the feeling he's going to end up as a regular. All right, let's do this right. Here we go. Good, the bad, and uh, one of the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's message comes to us uh, from Redemption World Outreach Center. They've got three locations in North Carolina, Asheville, Charlotte, and some other place. It's Ron Carpenter Jr. presiding. Now, this is a fascinating message. 
And the reason why it's fascinating is because Ron is really good at reading biblical texts and creating the illusion that he's exegeting it when he's not. He might start to exegete it, might point something out about the passage, and he doesn't pay attention to the bigger context, and then he starts making assertions regarding what the text says that are not found in the text. The assertions cannot be supported by what he says. So he's actually pretty slick in how he does what he does. So all I can say is hang on for the ride. This is this guy is actually very skilled in his uh, Bible manipulation and techniques. By the way, the name of the sermon there, I don't know the name of it. It's from the, one of their Wednesday night services. I'm going to have to create a name for it. So, But uh, again... Um, Listen to, I'll point it out on the, on the way as to how he manipulates God's word. He's actually very skilled in his manipulation of the word. So let me go ahead and kill the music. So without any further ado, here's uh, Ron Carpenter Jr. from uh, Redemption World Outreach Center. Here we go. Well, it's church night. Guess what it's doing outside? It's pouring down rain. I, all I can do now is just laugh. I just, and I hate it too because I, and when I get word, I don't want nobody to miss it. We've had such a we've had such a great few weeks. These last couple of Wednesday nights where we've changed things around is just I, I have enjoyed it because it's given me extra time to get these thoughts out. I hope you haven't been bored. Have you been enjoying all this word you've been getting? <laughs> I got twice as many scriptures to dump on you tonight as I did last night, last Wednesday. Twice as much. I want you to feel like you have been made to drink water out of a fire hydrant when you leave here tonight. You know, just just, just all you can take. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get in the Word. Those of you who haven't been here before, haven't been here in a while, we, we're mixing some things up. Uh, my desire is to simplify just a little bit, not take away from the experience. Worship is a core value in this church. Ministry is a core value, and the Word is a core value. Those are DNA things. They're not ever subject to change. But I told you last week, I'm going to explain this probably next few weeks because I'm trying to get more people in here. And I believe if the weather wasn't so awful, we, we would see that jump in attendance with just terrible weather. But what I'm attempting to do for some of you saying, what's going on? We got it last week. I don't know if y'all saw it. We were taking up the offering at 812. And we was out of here by 817. And some of y'all didn't know what to do. And I had preached 10 minutes longer than I normally do. So we, we've worked hard to see how to simplify things. <clears throat> My goal is that really I only have two times a week to speak into your life. And because of the lateness of the hour, there's a lot of people that would love to come on uh, a midweek Bible study. But because of the length of it, the, the quarter to nine and then going to Burger King, getting home at quarter to 10, and, and then getting kids to bed at 10.30, and next morning is just awful. And that, There's a lot of people that don't participate, especially those that have kids. So in order to try to... Now, I apologize. We're going to slug through the opening announcements because one of the things you'll notice about a lot of churches nowadays is that it's kind of hard to figure out when the sermon actually begins. Technically, this is part of the sermon time, just slog through it with me. What I'm calling enlarge the tent to a broader group of people 
I'm trying to simplify what we do so that more people can participate. So that means tell your neighbor on both sides, say, Pastor, say, glad he's here. Glad that you're here tonight. Tell him, glad. Well, he's glad he's here too. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> and you can say amen tonight and you can do what we normally do. But I'm, I'm throwing out a whole lot more scripture than normal. Probably not preaching quite as much as normal. And I hope that you enjoy it. We are living in a generation that does not know the word of God. And that's something I wish you didn't have to amen to, but it's true. <laughs> um, the generation I grew up in, um, they, they did Sunday schools, conferences, Wednesday nights, revivals. I felt like I was in church all the time when I was a kid. And you could be a sinner and didn't like God, but you knew pretty much a great deal about the Bible if you just came up through the church. Today, that is not the case. Um, We've scaled it back to where people will go to church about one time uh, every other week, once a month. And then they only want to be there about 60 minutes. And we've turned preachers into entertainers. Come on, somebody. And uh, so we got a whole culture of folk that are saying they're Christian and have no clue what the Christian life even consists of. And there is so much irony in these opening remarks. You, by the end of it, you're going to see that. And uh, I'm not going to let the people that sit under this roof be that way. So, yeah, amen. That, that's not going to happen here. <laughs> so you're going to see me lean a lot, a lot more heavily toward making sure I get a little bit more teaching time on Wednesday and people can still come. So friends that you have come on Sunday and they say Wednesday night's too big a hassle, tell them just say just try it. Just try it, okay? Now i got one thing I want to do before I pull out the Bible. Uh, I want to pray. I've gotten word from, they're keeping me informed about the weather. They said that a tornado touched down in Greer. And uh, just got word about that. That's never a good thing. All right, for y'all, for those of you who don't know faith and know what I'm about, you're about to find out. We command the heavens. <laughs> you're going to start off by commanding? This isn't a prayer. To hold back the reins. Over Greenville in the upstate of South Carolina tonight. And we speak to the forces at work. And we declare to you clouds dissipate, rains clear, and nothing shall terrorize the people of this upstate South Carolina. In the now this should tell you something about his theology. We're dealing with a species of the word of faith heresy. In the name of Jesus. We shall not be in fear. We shall not be struck with terror. And we speak to the storm and we command you to head in a different direction. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say this to you. Now some of y'all are, are, are learning right now. Listen to how I pray. I speak to you as a son of the most high God. In the name of Jesus. So apparently he's the Messiah. The most high son of God. And I declare this done on earth as it is in heaven right now in Jesus name. And everybody said amen and amen. Say that's how you pray right there. You don't pray about it. You talk to it. So apparently you don't pray about something. You talk to something. It's not what scripture says. Notice when Jesus taught us to pray. Lord give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Yeah, there's no examples of the disciples actually commanding storms and things like that. Only Jesus did that. And I would point you to the tail end of the book of Acts. Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
spent two weeks in the belly of a ship that was tossed to and fro in the major of a in the middle of a major nor'easter on the Mediterranean Sea, and he prayed. He never commanded the storm. Okay, that should tell you something. We're dealing with a false theology here that tells you to command storms. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to command storms. That authority is not given to men. Okay, that authority belongs to Jesus alone, and so we pray. Again, look at the tail end of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, in a storm for two whole weeks, never commanded the storm once, but he prayed. But he prayed. Come on. Some of your heads hurt. You need to tell the pain. Talk to the pain. Your legs hurt. Talk to it. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. You got to talk to it. Touch your neighbor and say, you got to talk to your mountain. You got Yeah, there's an out-of-context verse there. Uh, you got to talk to your mountain? No, the scripture is talking prophetically. Christ is talking prophetically, you know, saying, if someone says to this mountain, which mountain? The temple mount, throw yourself into the sea. This is not saying that your th- the problems in your life are mountains that you've got to talk to. So we, now we've got, you know, now we're zeroing in. We're clearly seeing word of faith heresy running through this guy's theology. Don't ever run at your mountain with your mouth closed. 12-year-old David was running at a 10-foot-tall giant saying, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. Don't ever run at your giant with your mouth closed. When you come at- Yeah, no, in times past, Christians got on their knees and prayed and petitioned God. Now apparently you're supposed to run at your mountains with your mouth flapping because your words are speaking, you know, no, this is, this is flat-out heresy. Scriptures do not teach this. Until your giant, you got your mouth open the whole time, telling him who you are and who your God is. Come on, so man, I feel something. I don't know if y'all feel it. I... You feel something? Manipulation here now. When you run at trouble, talk to it. When you look at a mountain, talk to it. Say, "Be thou removed and be cast into the sea." Hallelujah. <laughs> well, let's get in the let's get in the word. You got me excited. We're going, we're going to shoot from the same scriptures. You should be familiar with these scriptures. I hope the, the one about never stumble in Second Peter, I hope when I get through with that, you can quote that one. And, uh, but you're going to hear me reading from the same scriptures. And I'm going to teach till I get all these points out. Because to be honest with you, the stuff I've been teaching you is not lightweight stuff. It has depth to it. The things... Of salvation and getting saved are simple. But the things of the kingdom, Jesus admitted himself, can be difficult to comprehend. Uh, which passage is that again? I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just that um, I'd like to see the passage on that in context so I understand what's going on. And so my job is to get before hungry people. And do what Jesus, the master teacher, did. Speak it in such a way that this generation can understand it. And I take that job very seriously. Oh, let me say one other thing. I'll say more about it Sunday. Thank you all for uh, my birthday and my appreciation day. Was Sunday wonderful? How many of y'all were here this past Sunday? That was crazy. That was good. That second sermon? How many of y'all were here for the second service? Okay. I'm going back and studying that one. I'm going to get about 10 out of it. 
Yeah, there was some one-liners he said I could have preached two hours on. And uh, I'm going to go back. I'm going to take that message and dissect it because he talked about storms, thorns. What was the other one? And the cross. And uh, I had never heard it put about like that. In fact, I told him, I said, if I write that book, I'll give you credit on the front page. Uh, that, that launched, I went home, got my computer, that launched a whole study up in my spirit. I went home, started looking at some stuff, and he just kind of dropped it out there. I said, oh, there's something in that. I'm going to dig that well. It was a wonderful day. I uh, have not finished reading all your letters yet, and I don't care how much I tell you to write small ones. Y'all don't mind. Y'all don't listen. And uh, so, but it's fun reading your story. It's fun reading your testimony. Uh, it is the one time uh, a year where I really get to drink and get to harvest. The Bible, Jesus said, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. In other words, God wants me to enjoy the field that I'm plowing. I should be, I should be able to enjoy what's happening in you. If I can't enjoy what's happening in you, the ox, the one who's pulling the plow and creating the garden that everybody's eating from, if you muzzle him, he grows weary. And I always keep the letters from Pastor Appreciation one year. And I'll throw, I'll throw them away when I get the next batch of letters, but I'll keep them for a year. You know what I do when the devil tries to discourage me? I go open that box. And I say, look what happened to Judy. Uh-huh. Yeah, look what happened to Tom Tom right here. Yeah. Look, look. When you tell me I ain't making a difference, look right here at Sarah. Look what she said happened. So if you're wondering what happens with those cards and letters and stuff, that, that's what I use them for. I keep them till the next year. And they're a great source of encouragement. And hopefully I've been sitting on the bed literally every night. We read four or five of them. And uh, I appreciate so much the love that you give us. I was raised in a pastor's home, and I can tell you he didn't always feel loved. And uh, I can tell you that in my worst days, I've never felt that. I've always felt loved and appreciated. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. Father, bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Second Peter 1. <laughs> Second Peter 1. My goal is about quarter after to... Uh, Show a little video of what's coming up and then take the offering. That's what we switched to. I was scared that people would take the video time to slip out. And that didn't happen because last Wednesday night, we just about had a record tithe and offering for a Wednesday night. So I think y'all were scared of that prayer I prayed over y'all. I prayed that if y'all left before the offering, that great mosquito would carry you away. And, uh, and so evidently y'all thought that prayer had power because y'all stayed. So the, the culture is going to shift a little bit to that being the last thing we do before we leave. So hang in there with me tonight. Second Peter one, the rest of them I'll throw up on the screen so that you can follow them. You're glad you're here. You enjoying it. I don't hear any rain beating on the roof. So evidently God got behind that prayer. <laughs> okay. Now here's the technique. Okay. Let me explain to you what it is that you're going to hear. The technique goes like this. He's going to read a passage out of context. Okay. Then he's going to read another passage out of context as if the two work together when they're not even really talking about the same thing. Then he'll read another passage out of context 
as if that somehow is dealing with the same thing that he's talking about here. And then he's going to be basically using, creating a narrative along the way, and then taking these verses out of context and weaving them into his narrative. The narrative is where the theology is, not the scripture. And so what happens then is, is that he might even you know, take a, one of the out-of-context passages and then you know, spend time focusing in on a sentence to create the impression that, oh, wow, we're doing some in-depth st- teaching here. And no sooner is he done with all of that that he begins to make assertions, statements that are not found in any of the texts that he took the time to rip out of context and weave together. That's the technique. Let's watch him do it. Second Peter 1, I'm going to start at verse 5. <clears throat> but for this reason, giving all diligence, I've already preached on that, took one night, add to your faith. You can't preach on that one night. I'll spend one night to faith virtue and probably one night on the rest of them. To virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you got to say it with me, you will never stumble. That's read it every week. Still has the same impact on me that there is a life available to me where I got to go through life from one train wreck to another. Did you catch what he did there? So he read the passage, and now he says, oh, I've, there's a life available to me that, where there's no train wrecks or whatever. That's not what this passage is saying. Okay? What is Second Peter about? So he read five verses from Second Peter chapter 1. Well, let's apply our three rules of sound biblical hermeneutics and exegesis. They are context, context, context. So is First Peter... Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, teaching that a, a life is available to you where there's no train wrecks? Um, no. Okay? This is where good reading comprehension in context pays off. Second Peter 1, 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us in his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh Therefore, brothers, 
Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intended always to remind you of these qualities through uh, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir up your, stir you up by way of a reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp is shining in the dark place and uh, 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 sorry, it, it, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing that, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what's going on in this passage? Well, that first part is the opening of the letter, Okay. It's the greetings and the reminder, and then he's going to launch into, in chapter 2, a full-blown warning against false teachers, okay, and trying to anchor their minds then on Christ. So he's talking about supplementing their faith with particular qualities that will do them well and 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 aid them. But nowhere in here is it saying that, oh, he's promising you a faith where you, you know, a kind of life that you can have that will, you know, make everything great and no train wrecks. So we've got a problem already. Uh, Ron Carpenter, from the first citation of Scripture, is already off the rails. From one train wreck to another. Hallelujah. Now, some of the others on the screen. The next Scripture I want to read is Colossians 3, 1 through 3. We've been in some good stuff here the last couple of Wednesdays. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Throw it on the screen quickly, please. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Verse 2. There we go. Set your mind on things, look now, above. Start thinking about what you can't see. Okay, now this is a fine, clever twist here. <clears throat> Colossians 3. Well, let's put that in context so we understand what's going on in this text. Is Paul saying, oh, set your thing, your minds on the things you can't see? Well, there's a context to the statement that he's making in chapter 3, verse 1. And it has everything to do with the fact that what Paul here is doing is correcting a heresy that is being taught in the Colossian church, the church of Colossae. Okay? a form of kind of like Judaizing Gnosticism. So let's go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, he says, See to it, actually writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head, in of, the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by the canceling of the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So we got a kind of a Judaizing heresy coming in there. People saying, oh, you've got to keep the, the Old Testament festivals. You've got to, you got to observe the new moon festivals and you got to worship on the Sabbath. Paul says, nah, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drinking with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So if then you have been raised with Christ, notice that Colossians 3, 1 starts right here. It's a continuation of this argument. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ, excuse me, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's what it is. Are you ready? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is... Not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So later in chapter 3, Paul explains what he means by setting your mind on the things above rather than on the things of the earth. Let's see if... um. Uh, Ron Carpenter uh, figures this out. I wouldn't bet on it. Not on things on the earth. Can we? We just all need to stop and repent right here. 
Because most of us are torn up about the thing right in front of us. He says, don't look at what's going on around you. Set your mind. That's not what he said, because when you read the passage in context, he makes it very clear what he's talking about. On what you've been told, but... Don't set your mind on sexual immorality, greed, the passions of the flesh, but set your mind on loving your neighbor and building each other up. That's what he was talking about. It's right there in the rest of chapter 3. You can't see it. Verse 3. Good God. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 2. 9 through 13, 2 Corinthians 2. So now we're hopscotching to another passage out of context. 2, 9 through 13. Just follow me. i got four scriptures I'm going to read, then I'm going to take off. 1 Corinthians. I am so sorry I say that every week. Why do I do that? 1 Corinthians 2. My apologies to those upstairs. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 13. I have not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of a man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Keep that up there, guys. Catch this now. I can't see it. Sight and revelation are two different things. That's not what this text is saying. Um, Again, notice he quoted it out of context. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 but as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear is here. Notice that there's a but there, okay? Allah in the uh, Greek, which means that there's something going on in the context that tells us what he's talking about. Well, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Context, context, context. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed for the ages for our glory." None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So now you've heard this passage in context. Let's see what uh, Ron Carpenter does with it. Things. So there are things that I can't see 
but God is going to reveal. To reveal means to uncover. He's saying there are things God has prepared for you and you cannot observe it from out here in. So you are going to have to look at it from here till it comes out. That's weird because that's not what the Apostle Paul was saying at all. And all you have to do is put those verses back into context and it becomes patently clear that you are not paying attention to what this passage actually says at all. You didn't get that. I got no amens. You shouldn't have gotten any. You should have had people throwing rotten tomatoes at you. He said, God has got stuff for you and you cannot see it out here and pull it into your life. No, it doesn't say that God's got stuff for you and you can't see it out here. That's not what this passage says at all. You are twisting God's word. You're going to have to see it in your spirit and push it out of your life. So revelation is what God uncovers inside of me. Sight is what I see around me. Problem is we live by faith. What's in me instead of sight, what's around me. Okay, next verse. Y'all all right? We're on the same page? Nobody's bored. You're all right. Okay, I want to make sure we're on the same page. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Next verse. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You have been given a born-again Spirit by the Holy Spirit, and it is that part of you That allows you to know and understand what God wants you to have rather than what society, culture, race, education, genetics, generational curses, who your daddy was, what family you were born out of, what neighborhood you were raised in. What God wants me to have? What? The passage is not talking about that at all. On a town you came from, all the stuff that tries to define you. He says, you've been given the Holy Ghost. So that you can know who you really are and what God has. Yeah, no, actually the text doesn't say anything that's saying you so that you've been given the Holy Ghost so that you can know who you really are. The text doesn't say that. Just go back and read it in context. It doesn't say that at all. Really prepared for you rather than all the outside influences trying to dictate who you are and trying what you've done in your past trying to define you. Somebody ought to be shouting on that right there. So do you know how important this is? Folks, man, I don't want to make enemies and I don't want to get people mad because I know people watch and listen to this who are not of our line of thinking. But there are, there are huge segments of Christian churches that don't even believe you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how they teach that because the... Yeah, that would be silly because it says in Scripture when we're born again and baptized, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple. Whole New Testament is nothing but the Spirit-filled life. Jesus came, the first thing he said, you got to be born of the Spirit. And then we're talking about living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Everything's about the Spirit. In other words, Jesus came and brought the kingdom within you. What is the kingdom? He allowed that third person of you to be born because...
because it was dead because of Adam. But now through Jesus, you've been made alive unto God. And now you can hear God. And God's got a plan for you. And God ordained things for you. And God said, i got a life for you, a future, a good one, not a bad one. Your life don't have to stink. Life- uh, yeah, the story of um, the gospel is uh, the gospel is not the good news that you have a purpose and your life don't have to stink. Uh, Christ promised persecution, suffering for his followers. Um, yeah, have you familiar with the Apostle Paul? You know, uh, you know, how many times was he stoned and whipped and adrift at sea and shipwrecked and you know all that kind of stuff that happened to him? Yeah, uh huh. You know what they did to Jesus? They crucified him. Don't have to be crappy. God said, "I got good things for you." But you can't know it through what you see. You can't know it through what you feel. I got to download it. Uh, yeah, no, First uh, Corinthians 2 doesn't say anything about, no, I've got this great life for you, but you can't see it. I've got to download it. Um, nope, that's not what the text says at all. You're twisting God's word. In your spirit. And if you don't learn how to walk with that part of you, you never engage the life that God had. How sad. How sad for God to have had this life and nobody ever taught me how to get in touch with the God that lives on the very inside of me. To never talk to him, to never ask him questions. <laughs> ask him about everything. Uh-huh. The God inside of you. You're, uh-huh. Right. Okay. I pray the way Jesus asked me to pray. I've already given you the examples. For those of you who haven't been, go back from the archives. Pull up, uh, you know, uh, go into how, Lord, is this mine? <laughs> when, when I'm looking at, 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 at relationships or connecting the church with another ministry, God, is this you? I don't just do it. I just don't try to make a wise business decision. God, is this you? So, so we got folk getting married and don't even talk to God. I, I dare say in this time with everybody being so crazy, I'd say, God, is this him? See, some of y'all all right, but you about to marry into some stuff. <laughs> that's an that's a, that's a I do idea. Go back and listen to that one. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? We got to take these things to the Holy Spirit. Now, before I read my last scripture, we're not flaky people. The Holy Spirit does not care. Lord, should I wear a blue shirt to church or the red one? Now, you you out there, and, and, and if you're out there, don't mean to offend you, but I want to teach you, those out there around the world. If, if you are one of those, you make the rest of us look bad. Because you, you represent the Holy Spirit in ways he never desired to talk to you. Should I pull my hair up, Lord, or should I wear it down? God don't care if your hair's in a ponytail or not. Okay? That's why God gave you senses. When you stand on the corner and you see the bus coming, you don't pray about it. You engage God about that which your senses can't tell you. You don't have to pray, Lord, is the stove hot? He gave you a hand that will tell you. Woo. Okay? You don't have to pray, should I step out in front of the bus? Lord, does this candle smell good or, or not? 
Now, that's why God gave you your senses. Because that is not the thing that concerns the Holy Ghost. Those are not destiny decisions. The color of your shirt is not a destiny-altering decision. So God does not get involved. Whatever involves your future involves God. Because future is what you can't see. But Yet I pray every day the way Jesus asked me to pray and give us this day our daily bread. Not a big destiny decision there. Um, weird, huh? He's making these claims now, these assertions about God without any biblical text to support the stuff he's saying. And the things he said, claiming that it was coming from the text he was reading, they, they ain't in there either. So far, nothing he said is actually taught in the Bible. God already knows. Oh, Lord, I don't know if they're getting it. They're looking at me strange. Come on, y'all got to be ready. I'm ready for you when you get in here. I've been alone hours today with God. Okay, can I read this last verse? 1 John 2.20. 1 John 2.20. Throw it up there real quick. And I'm going to get this out tonight. 1 John 2.20. 1 John 2 and verse 20. Okay, I'll go ahead and read that. Let me see. Listen to this. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Yet notice the sentence begins with the word, but. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. So we're not really learning what 1 John 2 teaches. No, we're just starting with verse 20 because, oh, it says something about me having an anointing. Well, let's, fight, let's rip it out of context and then weave it together with all these other passages so we can just invent our own theology and make it look like it's biblical. Thank you all for those amens because I love this verse. And you know all things. I'm going to read that again. You have an anointing. Tap your number say, you're anointed. You're anointed. The day of the preacher being the only one anointed is over. Appreciate Benny Hinn. Been a friend, but you ain't got to touch him. He ain't got to blow on you. You can touch the person next to you. You know why? They're anointed. Well, they ain't got no title. Don't have nothing to do with a title. It's got to do with something with the anointing living on the inside of them. Okay? You all have an anointing. God gave it to you from the Holy One. Now, and you know, no root word for knowledge. There is knowledge... Of everything in this anointing. Not in your mind and your anointing. So let me show you what we've just done. And give me about another 20 minutes or so and I'm going to work this thing. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's about to work this. I can tell. He's about, he about to work this. Now, I don't, I don't have a book to go from and I certainly have no artistic ability whatsoever. I just try to think in my mind to give you a visual to help you understand it. Okay, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and where? Have so now he's going to work all these passages that he's ripped out of context and weave together a theology from these out-of-context passages, never once paying attention to what anything actually said in context. In other words, this is spinning your own theology 101. Heavenly places. This, let's just say this is the heavenlies. It is the unseen realm. It is not temporary. The Bible says it's eternal. 
And the Bible says when Jesus came to earth and died and said, it is finished. Nothing else needs to be done for you. When you pray, Jesus don't jump up and run to the healing cabinet and pull you out of healing. Your healing has been purchased 2,000 years ago. Your salvation. Word of faith heresy at this point. The Bible does not promise that you will receive a healing if you are a Christian. Doesn't actually promise a universal healing for people. Christians have been dying for 2,000 years. Why? Why? Well, because eternal life isn't until we're resurrected with our new bodies. Unfortunately, Christians get terminal diseases. They die. It's been happening to Christians for thousands of years. In fact, some of the most notable Christians who've ever walked the earth, they're all with Christ, and their bodies are long since gone. They started off as worm food and then turned into dust, and now what's left is skeletal remains, if that... You see, yes, we've got a death awaiting us. This, the wages of sin is death. But if you're in Christ, you're not going to taste death. You will be with him forever. And he will raise your dead body from the grave. Job himself talks about the fact that God, he's going to see God with his own eyes even after all of his skin has gone away. The hope of Christians is not not that we receive eternal health and wealth and all that kind of stuff here and now. All of that stuff is promised to us on the other side of the resurrection when we will be given new bodies that will be like Christ and will never be sick and never die. Christ brings us through the curse. He saves us through it. He doesn't exactly save us from it. Does that make sense? He's going to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't go around it was purchased 2,000 years ago. The provision for your needs was provided for 2,000 years ago. All of your needs have been met. Jesus said, it is finished. You can't increase upon it and there's nothing left that needs to be done. But my Bible says that God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory and that he has blessed me with every blessing in heavenly places. So all my stuff is in an area where I can't touch it and I can't see it. But I'm down here in earth and I got eyes and I got hands and I got a nose and I got a mouth and I'm operating by my senses and I do it on a daily basis and then I see something confronting me that looks like I don't have the ability to move it or get over it. So my eyes are engaging a mountain. Um, the, none of these texts teach this. Just read all the passages again in context. None of these texts say this at all. There isn't a clear passage in Scripture that teaches any of this. He's rolling his own theology. And my answer is up here. So God says, now I have to use faith. Because I've got to move this stuff down here. Ah, so all of it's up there in heaven, but you've got to use your faith to move it down here. No passage in the scripture actually says that, especially these four. Because pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. Where? On earth as it already is in heaven. It now, that text doesn't say all, all your stuff's up in heaven and you've got to move it down here. That's not what that passage says. It's, it's, it's just fascinating to me. How every heretical group basically uses the Lord's Prayer 
as and which by the way doesn't teach this it just read it in context it doesn't say all your stuff's in heaven and you got to move it down here by faith it doesn't say that the uh, you know you think of the social gospel liberals oh so we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that means the social justice and you know that's what that means and so everybody pours in their own meaning here okay what is god's will right now how does the kingdom come to us it's according to Christ, the will of God is that people believe in the one whom he, the Father has sent. That's Jesus. The work of God is to believe in Christ. And the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins is how the kingdom of God comes to people. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, okay, up in heaven is all of your stuff, everything that Christ won for you, but you've got to move it down here because you, know, you can't see it. You've got to move it down here by faith. Your healing, your prosperity, your provision, your you know, whatever. It doesn't say that especially these four passages that he ripped out of context. None of this says that. It's got to happen on earth. It's already happened in heaven. I got to move it. Okay. So here I am. Lord, don't let me mess this up. Too late. Let me see. One, two, three. Yes, three parts. I did good, didn't I? Somebody said, Lord, he ain't no geometry teacher. I can tell you that. Okay. I won't tell you what grade I made in geometry. Okay. So here I am, these three parts. I had my body when I got saved. I had my soul. I, I could think and I had emotions and I had feelings and I had experiences and I had a past. So that was all tucked away in my soul and, and I got a body. But this guy right here was dead. I was dead to sin. What, what, what does that mean? My body was alive. My soul was alive. But I couldn't touch God. So the Bible says, you he made alive who were dead in sin and trespasses. God, I'm about to take this stand and just chunk it out there. I'm... Uh, so now we're getting an interesting spin on the doctrine of regeneration. It, it, some part of this is true. So Jesus came. I said, forgive me. He made me a spirit. This fellow right here made me live forever. Now I'm never going to die. If I said that in my grandmama's church, they'd have been slinging bobby pins everywhere and their hair would have fell from a bun down to their ankles. All you have to do is mention heaven briefly and they start running all over the church. Because of this born again spirit, I am now going to live with God forever. But he didn't give it for me to use when I get to heaven. He gave it to me so I could download heaven into earth while I'm here. And what passage says that? Yeah, the Lord's Prayer doesn't teach that. It doesn't actually say. Just read it. Just read it. Forgive us our trespasses. Give us this day our daily bread. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't say that. So he said, the kingdom is now, Jesus said, within you. Are y'all getting this? Are we picking up on it? The kingdom is within you. So now God says, I've got a place where I can get heaven into earth. And it happens, the place of transition is right here. So the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit, who knows a man except the spirit of a man? 
Who knows God except the Spirit of God? The Holy Ghost looked in God's head and then came inside of your spirit and downloaded everything that your eye cannot see and your ear has not heard and has never entered your heart, but God has had planned for those who love Him. Some- um, again, read 1 Corinthians 2 in context. When you read it in context, none of this can be justified what he's saying. He is flagrantly twisting God's word here. Everybody say amen to that. And all that came and lived in you. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ, the anointing, your spirit in God. You have an anointing and you know all things. So all the knowledge that God has, all the plans that he has, all the future that he has, he's locked up in this area. Really? So all the futures and the plans that God has, it's locked up in your spirit. He downloaded it as soon as you became born again. Oh, really? What passage says that again? Not even one. My problem is he don't know nothing about it. He's talking about his soul within his his physical body. His soul doesn't know about what's downloaded by the Holy Spirit in in his spirit. Now, what did I tell you last week? There was a tree Adam ate from. When Adam ate from that tree, he died. And he got messed up. Because he ate from the tree of the knowledge. There was no knowledge of murder. There was no knowledge of envy and backbiting. There was no knowledge of rebellion. Come on, somebody. Yeah, there was no knowledge of Bible twisting either. Yeah, that came with the fall too. And you're showing that you're very skilled at it. There was no knowledge of lying, no knowledge of cheating, no knowledge of theft. It came from that tree. And so now I get saved and I got a spirit who my Bible says, Romans 7, in my inner man, I delight in the law of God. I want to do the right thing, but I got a mind that's conformed to the world. It wants to do the wrong thing. Therefore, you have a carnal Christian. You got a Christian who has had a genuine born again experience, but has never changed the way they think from when they were running crazy. Give me a break. And our churches are loaded with them. (laughs) Because nobody knows the word. Okay? Now, I'm trying to train you. Can Can I say something very controversial? I was raised in the holiness church. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say holiness church? Wow, more of you than I thought. I've poked fun at it before. Wonderful people. But I was raised in a church where it was the pastor's job to tell you what to do and what not to do. That was his job. That's the kind of sermons they preached. So they took stuff every Sunday and preached about it. Preached about, don't don't go eat in these places. Don't go dressing like this. Don't go wearing your hair like this. I mean, it was do's and don'ts. So God to me was a giant rule book 
Now, I didn't run from God because I loved sin. I ran from God because I heard all those rules. And I said, ain't no way I can keep them. So if I'm going to hell. Y'all, y'all too religious tonight. What? Now this, by the way, what he's describing here is a church that preaches all law and no gospel. What he's describing is exactly what happens to people in those churches. All law and no gospel, you get raised in that, you figure, well, can't keep those rules anyway. If I'm going to go to hell, I might as well. Mm -hmm. That's actually the most true statement that he's said. In fact, the only really thing true he's said the entire night so far. We talk. Does it bother you that I'm this wrong with you? This was my mindset. I can't keep all them rules. So if I'm going to hell... Let's go in a limo. I bet some of y'all. <laughs> that was my mindset. Do you know what that is? That's the curse of the law. Yep, that's right. This part of his sermon is actually true. The Bible said Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Do you know what the curse of the law was? The curse of the law was it kept, it kept you on a treadmill, but you could never catch it. The curse of the law is that it turns your life into a performance. Yep. This, this part's true. It caused you to have to perform for God instead of just accepting. And Jesus came and broke you having to be good enough. So now we've got, this is interesting, we've got a whole bunch of really false Bible twisting going on here with a little bit of nugget of the truth and a shadow of the gospel, not really the full gospel that we're hearing here, but you know, a, you know, kind of a wispy, shadowy you know, vestige of the gospel kind of wafting through now here. Man, that's good. So- yeah, no, not really, because you're not saying that Christ has done it all for us. You're not telling us to repent and believe and be forgiven. You're not talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. You're still very confused. God got me off the treadmill of every day trying to keep all these rules and be good enough for him to love me. Now I know he loves me on my good day and my bad day. Oh, he broke it. Somebody say he broke it. He broke it. He broke it. Yeah, again, you're not discussing what he did on the cross. That's good news. Not quite. I'm teaching now. Stay with me. I'm teaching this thing. You done got me in a well. I'm feeling this. Oh, I love this. I love to teach. Okay. Enjoying it? We're okay? Everybody on the same page? You following me? All right. Let me keep going now. I'm going to push a little further. I have found out something about people. When you go to a church that is very religious, legalistic, See, the, my, my old home folk now would call me a compromiser. Because very rarely do you hear me get up here and tell you what to do and what not to do. You might, I might pick up some scriptures. You need to look for these characteristics in a friend and, and you need to still, I mean, I, you know, I preach God's standards. But I am not a quit this and start this. You don't hear that out of this pulpit. Now, my older folk, if they heard my preaching, they think I done left the fold. 
They'd be praying for me to get my heart right. Come on now. The New Testament life is being led by the Spirit. Now, that statement by itself, if rightly and biblically defined, is true. But he's not rightly defining it biblically. The more rules I give you, the less you have to be led. And there's the supreme twist. That's why I don't give you rules. Because if you just come in here like a bunch of mindless robots and wait for me to tell you what to do, you'll never ask the Holy Ghost. Your job is to preach the full counsel of the Word of God, law and gospel. God's law is holy and it's good. What you're describing here is gospel reductionism, antinomianism. I'm not, to try, I'm not trying to train you to honor a rule book. I'm trying to get you to live under his guidance. That's why we incorporate worship. <laughs> Notice uh, the, uh, the organist now is chiming in. You know? In our service. I'm doing everything I can in the hour, hour and a half, whatever I got to give you a God experience and get you used to touching that part of your person. I want when we're worshiping, I, I, I want excellence, but I'm not as interested in talent as I am presence. I want you to feel God. I want you, ooh, somebody else is in the building besides people. I, I, I feel something stirring down on the inside of me. I want you to feel that. I want you to experience that. And even if you've never experienced it, I want you to create, I want awareness of God to be created in you. I want you to get used to talking to Him. You know, some of you were trained that to have a prayer time, you gotta go in a room, you gotta lock up. A- so word of faith, the word of faith heresies often, um, coexist with mysticism door you got to cut on a lamp you got to get on your knees you got to look at an eye i talk to god all day long yeah i doubt it all day i'm getting up in the morning hunting for the commode i'm already talking for god bumping into stuff with one eye shut god ain't awake yet give me a minute In the car, walking to the car, getting ready, in the shower, studying. When I, Who's he preaching about? Himself. I study. God showed me something. I said, oh, God, that's good. God, why, why did I have to be 45 to see that? Why did you show me that 20 years ago? Lord, I thank you. You're good. Help me preach this tonight. I'm just sitting there talking to him. Why? Because I live. I live. I live. I live right here. I want to live right here. He'll get you in trouble. He'll get you in trouble. But the Spirit of God, you have an anointing. And it goes on to say, and it will not lie. It always will tell you the truth. If you follow this one, you can't get lost. So put aside the Bible, you know, that rule book, and just be led by the Spirit, like the Jedi in the Force, you know. I'm doing my best. Is this all right? Ain't even looked at the six pages of notes I wrote today. 
apparently he's preaching by the Spirit, too. <clears throat> Not the Holy Spirit, though. Tell you never say, we'll probably be looking at faith next week also. Tell me we're now, it is the Holy Ghost's job, 2 Corinthians no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or has ever into the heart the things God has planned for you. He already demonstrated that that's out of context. That's not what the passage is saying. I want you to connect these scriptures. So this part of me don't know what God's got. It just knows the way I was raised and everything that's happened to me. But I have an anointing and I know all things. And my life is hidden right here with God. So I got to somehow contact it because that's where heaven is downloaded into me. Oh, so heaven is downloaded into your spirit. You got to find a way to contact your spirit. Maybe you should send out an SOS, you know? Okay. So he has given us the spirit and the spirit has revealed the things which has freely been given to us. So now it's not seeing something out here. It's uncovering something in here. Again, what passage says that? Yeah, 1 Corinthians doesn't say that. You really don't determine life. You discover it. You discover it. As God uncovers it. Now, I'm going to end. I'm going to take about six or seven minutes and I'm going to work this point. No, y'all don't know it, but I've been up here almost 40 minutes. I'm telling you, it's the shortest 40 minutes in the world. I mean, when I used to listen to preachers preach, it was the longest 40 minutes in the world. But on this side of the mic, it feels like I just started. <laughs> yeah, on this side of the critique, it's really dragging, dragging on. Now, but he has revealed, 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 uncovered revelation. I pray above all things that you have the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation that you might know. I'm quoting these, I'm quoting scriptures. God wants you to have a spirit, an ongoing everyday experience of revelation where God all day long is uncovering stuff to you. Yeah. And even the verses that you're supposedly referencing, don't say what you're actually saying, man, what a life. Okay? Now, excruciatingly important point, and I hate that I'm kind of parting with it, but I'm hoping you can grab it. Revelation is progressive. Revelation. God's word is progressive revelation in, in that it gets clearer and clearer, you know, you know with each successive generation where you start with Genesis and you get all the way to the book of Revelation, it becomes really clear what's going on. Is that what you mean? It's progressive. Second Peter 1, 12. I didn't give them that scripture, but I want you to throw that because I'm heading in a different direction. Second Peter 1, 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always... Of these things, though you know and are, next verse, established in present truth. Yes. 
All right, let's take a look. Second Peter one twelve out of context. We read that in context earlier. Okay, two Peter one. I want to see something in the Greek here. Therefore, I intended always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Um, let's see here. I want to see uh, Greek. Aletheia diakonon. Um, of okay. But now, okay, yeah, that you currently possess. Yeah, that's the idea. Okay, so therefore I intended always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you currently have. That's what that that means. Um, Oh, man. So, um, okay, let's see what he does with it. Ooh. Yeah, Supreme Bible Twist coming. Warning. There is truth, and then there's present truth. Can I mess with it? Or do I just know you're leaving? Yeah, you've been messing with all of God's word the entire time. Why stop now? Come back. Now. Can I mess with it a little bit? <laughs> present truth. Jesus told us what present truth is. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceed, not preceded. See, denominations are living in a preceded word. You can read a person, you can read a denomination's sign and tell where they stopped. You live off the last thing God said. Case in point. Abraham. So apparently God's written word isn't sufficient, even though it says all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, training, and righteousness. So the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. No, 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 no. They've got present truth they've got present revelation and oh the problem with those denominations they don't have the most current revelation from god run 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 this guy is not bound to what god's word says take thy son take thy only son and sacrifice him to me so the promised child of a man in his old age god said take him on a mountain And give him to me as a sacrifice. There's a big difference in kids then and kids today. (laughs) Kid today, I ain't laying down up with you. Come on, daddy. What's up with you? (laughs) Okay. Long story short, took his son up the mountain. His son was asking, his son knew something was up. Where we're going? I'll show you. Where we're going? I'll tell you when we get there. It's kind of hard to tell you, son. I'm about about to cut you in half. (laughs) Got his son laid out at the top of the mountain, raises the stake. Abraham, look. 
There's a ram caught in the thicket. The Lord has provided. Jehovah Jireh has provided for you. Now, what if he would have just heard the first word? Mm, Yeah, so that means we need to be expecting new revelation from God. Run. If he would have just heard the preceding word, Isaac would have died. Israel would have never been a nation. A Messiah would have never been born. And we'd have never been saved. And y'all ain't saying nothing. But because Abraham heard the next word. Because revelation progressive. When I came here, I saw a church. That's all the revelation I had. Then after I got a church, God gave me a vision for a hundred. A hundred little churches just like that with your false teaching? Yeah, that'd be like a viral infection of a very deadly disease. Why? What if I'd only heard the first word? I'd be finished and looking up into heaven and saying, is there any reason for me to live? But he said, now take this one and put a hundred Kingdom speaking satellite. Yeah, um, you know, you don't preach the truth, so God didn't even tell you to have anything to do with that first church. You haven't been hearing God's voice at all. Like congregations all over the southeastern United States. So what I do, I'm not living off the thing God told me when I was in Bible school. I'm living off the thing he told me today. Because you live off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why when you get a word from God, you can't ever think that that's the last one. So he's using the Bible to try to prove that the Bible's not sufficient. That's just brilliant in a terribly deceitful way. Because God is going to tell you more on the subject as you keep walking. (laughs) And what's he going to tell me 10 years from now? Something that I ain't heard today. Because he's always talking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 23, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of God, the written word of God, It shall be well with you. You will be healthy. You will be prosperous. You'll be wise. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. You're the head, not the tail, right? For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? And who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he is executed and accomplish the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, and yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. 
Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams and visions that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name to, uh, to Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell a dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. And we do. We have the word of God. And we can speak it faithfully because it's written for us. And all you have to do is read it in context and rightly handle it. And so far, Ron Carpenter hasn't rightly handled a single passage of Scripture. And that establishes me, what I just, in present truth. It's not that any part of the Bible is old. But what truth is he speaking now? You can look in the church and every decade it's like God emphasized something different to the church. What is he doing? Corporately, he's bringing the whole church into a present truth. I believe the present truth today is the understanding of the kingdom. It's never been preached. So now he's trying to bring the church in. Hogwash. To the understanding of more than church. Now it's a kingdom. Do you understand? I came to establish a kingdom. That's present truth. That's the thing God is saying today to the church. <laughs> so I ask you this. What is your present truth? Well, I ain't heard God in three weeks. Is he quit speaking? Or the pipes clogged? Do you have too many other voices in your ears? Have you got things going on in your life that's hindering you from hearing? Come on, somebody. Okay. Now, this right here is something I got to talk about, piggyback off of in the next week. What have I told you? God has great plans for you. You got saved so God could tuck it inside of you. You've got to learn to start looking in here and be more convinced about this than all of this. Mm -hmm. And we've already demonstrated through this critique that, um, well, that's not what God's Word teaches at all, anywhere in context. Okay. And I've got to understand that God is constantly speaking so that the things inside of me can begin to be activated and come to life. And what passage of Scripture says that? Not one. And that my experience with God is not an event. It's not a church event. It's a lifestyle. It's a walk. Anybody can feel the anointing in here, but can you feel the anointing at work? Anybody can. Where does it say in Scripture that we need to feel the anointing? I don't recall any passages that say that. You can pray in here, but can you pray at home? You see what I'm saying? Because this thing is a walk in the Holy Spirit. Touch two people on both sides and say, I'm getting this. I'm getting it. It's becoming clear to me. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together and give Jesus praise all over this building. <laughs> I want you to prepare your tithe and offering. While you're doing that, do two things at one time, and we're going to start engaging. And you can see what's going on at Redemption. Then we'll bless. All right. We're done. <sighs> yeah. Complete twisting of God's word. While attacking 
God's word and the sufficiency of God's word. Yeah, um, he's not hearing from God. How do I know that with such certainty? Because he twists the written word of God to make it say things that it doesn't. That means that God the Holy Spirit is not speaking to him. If he's hearing from any spirit at all, other than his own deceitful scheming mind, he's hearing from demonic spirits, not the Holy Spirit. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter when I'm there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>